Hey, Amy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Nish. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to uh, have you join us. As you know, we started this podcast a few years ago. We did a limited run of 10 episodes, and uh, we've been getting lots of pings about it uh, over the years. So we've decided to uh, fire it back up, and uh, it's amazing to have you as the first guest for this this new series. Awesome. Uh, Love it. I'm a fan. Yeah. And um, so you and I have been, well, you've been in creative operations doing the work for a number of years, and I've sort of been a, a fanboy or a groupie uh, observing from the sidelines for a number of years, and lots of things have changed. One of the things I want to do um, today, just to give the listeners some context, is just start with asking you a series of rapid fire questions. Um, just again, to put everything that sort of comes afterwards that you're going to be sharing with us and the audience today uh, into the proper context. So um, let's start off with just, as I said, rapid fire Q&A. Where do you currently practice creative operations? I am with Sam's Club, which is a division of Walmart. Okay. And what does Sam's Club do for those of us that aren't familiar with it? Yeah, Sam's Club is a warehouse store. Uh, Our competitors uh, are primarily Costco, uh, for those of you who don't have a Sam's Club near you. Okay. All right. Good. That uh, definitely provides some good perspective. And where does the creative operations team at Sam's Club sit? Is it in the marketing department? Is it part of the creative, uh, creative services department? Does it sit on its own? Yeah, we've had an evolution over the five years that I've been here. We started as part of an e-commerce creative team and sat in e-commerce creative. And today, after changes to the business and the organization, today we sit in uh, an omni-channel marketing organization. Okay, cool. Omni-channel marketing organization. Um, And can you tell us a little bit about what kind of content is being produced? Yes, so that's also an evolution for us. We started out, uh, as an, uh, as I said, as an e-commerce uh, creative operation doing uh, entirely digital assets for samsclub.com as well as off-site digital uh, advertising. So uh, a very quick turn, generally, um, all fully digital assets, uh, including email. Today, we do a full uh, omni-channel Uh, We have a full omni-channel menu of assets that we create. So we still have all of the digital work that we had before. And now we also have uh, a host of print activities. We have uh, several instant savings books. It's a coupon book that you get in the mail several times a year. Uh, I think we do eight of those a year. Uh, Handouts for our holiday program, uh, signage in the clubs, uh, so we run the full gamut today of uh, of retail uh, assets. Okay, so and it sounds like in this omni-channel world where you're producing content for sounds like every channel, you it also sounds like you've probably got a mix of different production cycles. Some things are going on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, quarterly, seasonal. That's absolutely right. Yeah, something okay. many things are seasonal. Uh, and not everything we do in-house. We do work with a roster of partner agencies uh, to fill in uh, places where we don't have expertise and we can tap into theirs. And actually, print is one of those places that uh, while we play a role uh, in uh, the management of the production in-house, uh, putting uh, assets through their paces in terms of approvals and brand double checks, right? Um, we we partner with the outside agencies to actually do that uh, design and uh, and production in their houses. So what kind of volume of content are you producing then? Um, and can you put that into maybe some additional context, whether that's on a daily, weekly, quarterly, or annual basis? Yeah, so we do about 1,600 projects in a year. Uh, And the problem with that number is that uh, projects vary greatly from one to the next. Uh, uh, We don't yet count assets. So, you know, that number, 1,600, could be times one or it could be times sometimes in the hundreds. So the truth is probably somewhere in, in between there to get a good average. 
um, but we use a level of effort to measure more than we do account. So every project gets assigned a level of effort using a scale that we've uh, defined internally that helps us manage um, capacity and know what volume we can handle. Okay, so Sam's Club, uh, which is a competitor to Costco to you know, um, give people some, some of that context there, and omni-channel uh, creative services team, you produce content across all the channels, you're doing 1,600 projects, but as you just said, some of those projects are fairly small in scope. Some of them are hundreds of pieces of content in the scope of a single project. Uh, and you've got cycles that could go daily, weekly, monthly, uh, or be more seasonal in nature. Just to sort of round out the context part of this, uh, tell us a little bit about you know what that team looks like. Um, you know, the team that you've got there at Sam's Club, and then what do you sort of tap into through those external agencies that you're working with? How many yes. project managers, creatives, any other types of roles? Yeah, so on my creative operations team, we have two senior managers of creative ops, and then we have a stable of uh, senior producers and producers. Uh, on the design and copy side, um, I'm going to take a guess. I haven't counted heads lately. That team is run by my counterpart, who is the senior creative director. I'm going to guess that there's something like 30 um, combined, possibly more than that, because some of them uh, work remotely and I don't see their faces as often. Um, we also have a small front-end dev department that doesn't report to us, but that we're utterly dependent on, obviously. Uh, particularly for samsclub.com. In terms of our agency partners, they have you know the standard uh, agency structure. We have a, an account director, we have art directors, and then we have project managers on any given project. So the connection point largely between my creative ops team are the project managers. Uh, and to a certain extent, the account director, especially when we're onboarding or working with agencies for the first time, um, we have that account director connection um, very close to make sure that we are ironing out any process issues as we go along. Okay, that's great. So that gives me and uh, the listeners some great context as to your creative operations situation right now. And I don't want to forget it, so I'm going to mention it now, even though I do want to sort of pivot into talking a little bit about your creative ops journey. I find it really interesting that you've got both an in-house team as well as a number of external partners and a little bit later, I'd love to come back to you and talk about, you know, how you think about process and do you have, um, do you have a common process that you apply internally as well as those, to those external partners or is, it, uh, or is it different? Do those partners, those agency partners run their own process? But um, let's, uh, hopefully one of us will remember to uh, come back to that a little bit. Later. Yeah, I, I have an interesting and complex answer to that question. <laughs> All right, good. Excellent. Uh, interesting is always good. Uh, so let's pivot to your creative operations journey. How did you come into this role? Do you come from a creative background, more of a project management or operations background, or from somewhere else? Um, complicated answer again. I am not a designer. I've never been a designer or a copywriter, if that's what's meant by creative in this setting. Uh, I did actually come from the music business doing uh, marketing program management and account management uh, and some sales of music tracks on CDs when those um, still existed. Uh, and I morphed that into uh, audio and also um, some small agency work related to that. So I would say I come from the um, more the marketing program management side than the creative. I was account director at a small uh, creative agency uh, many years ago here in San Francisco. Uh, and since then, I have largely had blended roles that, um, that encompass both marketing operations and creative operations. And by marketing operations, I mean the operating of a marketing department, not um, demand generation in the, in the B2B sense. It's sort of a, a confusing word. Okay. Uh, and I've been here uh, doing creative operations at Sounds Club for uh, about five, just over five years now. 
uh, again, started with just the digital piece and about two years ago took on the omni-channel creative operations here as well. Well, I've been in and around the creative operations world for, I think, around six, seven years now. And I think you were the first person I've met that comes to it from the music industry. So that is interesting. You mentioned the word CD. And if any millennials are listening to this, they've probably put us on pause and they're Googling what a CD is. It's <laughs> um, very possible. They have no idea what it is, but uh, I can certainly relate to that. So how would you describe the job of creative operations the way that you practice it at Sam's Club to uh, a six-year-old? Oh, to a six-year-old. So to a six-year-old, I would say I go around telling people uh, when things are due, and then I go around telling my boss why things are late. <laughs> that would be my six-year-old version. Okay. Uh, and now if you're talking to, um, so this omni-channel team, do you, do you report to like the VP of marketing or? Yep, that's exactly right. I, re I report to the VP of marketing. Okay. So when you're talking to the VP of marketing um, and they ask you, you know, what is creative operations and what's the role of creative operations? How do you answer it in that situation? Yeah, so in that situation, the phrase I've come to like is the art and science of running a creative team like a business. Okay, talk, uh, tell me a little bit more about that because that's, that's an interesting statement. That, that almost seems like you know, a great tagline for creative operations, the movie. <laughs> oh, the, that would sell out right away, huh? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what I, what I mean when I say that is uh, we should be, we meaning creative operations, should be held accountable for making sure that our creative department is functioning at its optimal levels and where it's not to point to data uh, as a business would, to show what's happening and to provide a corrective course of action to get it onto the path that it needs to be. So a couple of things there, um, to me, um, doing creative operations has to involve data of some kind, right? Otherwise, you're either not doing creative operations or you're just guessing or fumbling in the dark. So you, you need some kind of data. And to me, that's the connection point into the business, right? businesses uh, live and die on, on their data, and so do we. Okay, so data, um, also known as metrics, also known as KPIs, um, and so let's start to dig into that a little bit. You're gonna be at the Henry Stewart Creative Operations Conference uh, next week, today's uh, October 28th, uh, when we're recording this, and I think that conference is coming up on November 6th or 7th. So just mm -hmm. days away, you're going to be doing a uh, leading a roundtable uh, workshop on the topic of metrics. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, uh, what are some of the metrics that you're using to help you determine if, um, you know, your content or creative production process is healthy or not? Yeah. Um, the primary one that we have been using for the last few years is speed to market because we can apply that uh, concept in many different ways that helps us get to root causes. So uh, we can look at speed to market of, uh, uh, of an entire campaign. We can look at speed to market of a set of assets. We can look at speed to market uh, of a piece of communication, right? We, uh, like an email, uh, because there is a lead time there that we don't actually control, but we play into. So that really helps us um, either look at really big pictures or very small pictures uh, and tell us how we're doing. Now, speed isn't the only metric that, that we are judged on. I don't know that anybody has figured out how to measure quality. Um, except for whether your VP and your CMO give you the thumbs up or not. <laughs> right. um, I understand that some people try to tie you know, conversion and things like that, and I, I understand the arguments for those. We're not currently doing that. 
Uh, some of the other metrics that I look at are um, productivity metrics and capacity metrics. Uh, how many projects per person are we doing? How many uh, projects per person can we handle? Therefore, how many people do I need to handle X number of projects with an increased load next year, et cetera. So I look at a lot of those things from a management perspective as well. Okay. So speed to market, that's interesting. Um, tell me when do you start the clock on that? Like, do you start the clock the second something is requested? Do you start the it, clock when something you start to work on something? It depends on what we're looking for. So uh, because I also own marketing operations, which is the piece that's upstream to um, the point at which a project is approved and ready to be kicked off, we measure the upstream speed to market as well. And then we have a separate measure for the downstream, which is defined by us as the project is approved and it has been assigned resources. Okay. And is this, so this sounds like that's your primary metric um, that you use. Um, is that something that you and the rest of the creative operations team sort of hang your hats on? Or is that something that, you know, the VP of marketing or the CMO and other stakeholders, are they also keeping an eye on that? And is that the way they sort of think of, you know, creative operations as a department to function, delivering value to the organization? Yes, that's definitely one of the things that they that they look at to determine whether we're adding a value um, that we should. Uh, I would say the other way that we use um, that I use data with leadership is in my capacity and level of effort metrics, uh, because if I'm going to go in and ask for more people uh, based on the amount of work that I'm seeing in the pipeline, I need to have something to back that up. Right. And that goes back to this running like a, running it like a business. Right. I can't go in with my arms flailing and say, I need more people. I need more people. I've got to have something founded in data. So those are the those are a lot of the data points that I use directly with my leadership and in, in discussions about resourcing. OK, so, um, you know, as much as you can, could you tell us a little bit about like how you use metrics? to actually either uh, to affect change, whether that's in um, process of how work gets done, um, or maybe you use metrics as a way of, you know, winning additional budget uh, for resourcing or technology or for other investments that you're looking for. Yes, we have used uh, some of our metrics um, that we don't necessarily collect anymore. We collected them for a period of time in order to prove a case um, that we deserved um, some technology because our metrics program uh, for the first two years was uh, essentially 100% manual. Um, so we did um, some productivity and demonstrations of what we could get if we didn't have to do it all manually. Uh, and that was a big selling point for helping us to, to get technology. Um, as I mentioned, I also use it to, to justify resources. We've been successful uh, both with justifying design and creative operations resources, uh, but also um, in getting an analyst role for uh, my blended creative ops and marketing ops team. Oh, that's great. Um, so is metrics something that you had, that you implemented as part of the job from day one or is that something that you brought in later? And can you talk a little bit about, you know, what the, what the culture is around metrics uh, within the creative operations group and perhaps more broadly with some of the other groups that you're working with, like the copywriting group, do they embrace the metrics or, you know, has there been some reluctance towards adopting a culture of metrics? Yeah, so I don't know that I would say I started my metrics program on day one, but I would definitely say that I had started it by day 30 um, when I had assessed what, what, what we actually needed to figure out. Um, so we've had a metrics program in place here now for, you know, just over five years minus the month that it sort of took me to get a lay of the land and figure out what we needed to measure. And then I started uh, implementing ways to 
measure the things that we needed to measure. And at that point, some of those were very basic. It's volume. How many are we doing? Who's doing them? How, how long do they take? What's our SLA? Um, where, where are our peaks and valleys aside from the obvious where retail so holiday is busier than the rest of the year? So those are the things I started digging into first. Um, I would say to your question about uh, reluctance um, to a metrics culture, I, I have not really chosen because they're not my team to expose our creative folks to most of our metrics um, for a number of reasons. One, I don't really measure it much that they do independently. Um, I see the producers and the creative ops team as the um, the braids, right, that hold it all together. So none of my metrics would tell me very much about what a designer or set of designers or copywriters are doing. Now, the way that the only exception to that um, is that sometimes um, we use metrics to diagnose problems. And one of the places that we, and I know many of my colleagues out there, uh, have issues with are the number of rounds on our proofs before approval. So we do look at the worst offenders in terms of proofs and try to back into what happened. Are there commonalities between these ones that, you know, get up into the 20s? <laughs> right. uh, are they the same people? Are they the same projects? Is it the same uh, call outs every time. Um, and then I will, when I have feedback like that, I will share it privately with those, with those functional team leads. Okay. I, I think that's, uh, that's a really smart move where you're sharing that feedback privately. It's uh, sort of reinforces that old saying like praise publicly and uh, scold or help educate uh, privately. Yeah, that's right. And, and I'm not those people's manager, right? So their manager may know something that I don't you know. Maybe they're having uh, personal issues and sh the person is aware of that and she's letting it slide. So, um, you know, you can, you should always, uh, always assume good intent, right? Okay. So I want to nerd out on metrics a little bit more here because I think it's one of those areas, not I think, I know it's one of those areas like in talking to lots of other people in the, in the job of creative operations that continues to be, um, quite frankly, for a lot of them, a, a stumbling block and sort of this big mountain that they have to climb. Um, and a lot of them just really don't know where to get started. So your current primary KPI um, time to market, um, how did that one come about? Like, how did you end up choosing that one as the primary KPI? And how long has that been the primary KPI? Did there used to be a different primary KPI? And what would sort of be the trigger to you know, make you reconsider whether or not that is your primary KPI. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but yeah, yeah. how did you come up with that one? So I believe that coming up with the KPIs should be a partnership between what the leadership team is asking of the broader team and what the creative ops team um, can do to help with that, right? So I didn't come up with speed to market on my own. It came up out of discussions with my VP and with my peers who sit on his staff to say, what are our biggest problems in reaching the prospects and members with what we're trying to say to them? Uh, and the main thing that came out of those discussions was we're too slow. Now, when we say we, we're not only talking about creative operations, mind you, and we're not only talking about the design process, right? We're talking about um, approvals and uh, a culture of uh, design by committee and approval by committee. Um, but we're also talking about processes that fall outside of creative operations. But when I hear that, right, as the, uh, as the creative ops leader on the team, uh, I, I have to go and find a way to measure that and then find a way to bring it down so that we are not uh, the bottleneck. Yeah, that's, uh, I love the fact that you said it was about, um, you did it in conjunction with the leadership team and it, 
this metric, time to market, sort of ties into the broader business goals. Um, so the business itself, Sam's Club, just wants to be able to get out to market quicker and what you're doing lines up with that. Um, so that's really smart because a lot of what I see is like people coming out with more and more metrics because all these tools that everyone's using now can generate a lot of the how do we make the sausage metrics like how many versions are there and how many days or minutes or seconds did it take from version one to version two and and those are valuable um, for the teams themselves to have visibility into that because that can help them you know monitor the health of their process and identify ways in which they could do things better. the other thing that i think is valuable about those niche is particularly for people who are just starting out it allows them to really get comfortable with something that's just internal to them right yep. and then when you when you start building up your confidence and talking about numbers and talking about those numbers it's a lot easier to take the next step and start looking for metrics and finding metrics and um, reporting out on metrics that are larger than just your team, right? But I think that's the hurdle that you mentioned. Um, it's part of that hurdle is people think you have to start doing it all right away and have these great executive level metrics. And, and that's scary. And that's one of the things that my workshop um, next week will talk about is how do you how do you just start from scratch and and start doing something that can build over time exactly and then um you know over time developing that combination of how do we make the sausage metrics that you're going to care about sort of you know um for the people that are actually on the ground doing the work or producing this content or managing that uh production process but then, and again, the reason I really love the metric that your primary KPI of time to market is that it's something that aligns with the rest of the business. It's more strategic in nature, and it allows creative operations to come to the table and be peers with the, the rest of their partners in the organization because um, everyone's talking the same language that, about achieving yep. the same business. That's right. Objectives. And, you know, I, I would challenge anyone who says that they make up their mandate entirely themselves, right? I don't, I certainly don't. I bet you my boss certainly doesn't. I'm not even sure our CMO does completely, right? He's got a mandate from the CEO for something or other that he, that he needs to bring to the table. So uh, I, I can control the making the sausage metrics, sure. Um, but I need, I need a mandate for what what you're expecting out of this team and then I can figure out how to measure it and how to help the broader business. Okay. Um, and how are you looking at your metrics? And by that, I mean, you know, everyone, um, not everyone, but people often say, well, I need to get some special technology because I need a dashboard that looks like something I would see on the Starship Enterprise. Uh, <laughs> do you use? Do you have a fancy tool? Do you use Excel? Is it just up on a whiteboard somewhere? We started out with just an Excel file, and we have morphed into a combination of a tool and some manual analyses. Right, the tool can't do it all for you. It can give you the data, but it can't give you the analysis because it doesn't know the other moving parts in your business. And so we look at the tool, but we look at the numbers the tool gives us and put our own lens on them outside of the tool. And there are some things, quite frankly, that even the tool isn't that better at doing than we used to do manually, right? A project is still a project. Now we have ways in the tool of breaking that down further. Um, how many production plans does the project have is something we can look at, but it still doesn't tell you how many assets that is as an example, right? Okay, got it. And uh, I, I think that's a really important point is that whatever tool you're using, whether it's uh, something that's digital in nature, an Excel spreadsheet, using an old school abacus, whatever it is, it's, it's meant to give you data and information, but it's not meant to give you answers. Um, it's, it's meant to put you in a position to start to ask better questions and do the analysis. And that's where the value of 
well, still the value of a human being comes in is to be able to look at everything in context and then drive to, well, let's dig into this and sort of figure out why this is happening, why something is trending one way or the other, um, and then try and come up with better answers. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how you're using those metrics and how it might relate to process. You were mentioning that, you know, you're tracking things like how many approval rounds were there. And, um, you know, in some cases you may have a discussion with somebody about, um, how the number of times it has to go through approvals for a single asset or a project, um, may lead to you having a discussion with them and how it's, affecting delivery and things like that. So are metrics the way in which you're monitoring health of process? Um, or are you also looking at other things as a way of determining process health? We are using a combination of those two things, I would say. Because of the success uh, I have had with credibility on my leadership team and from the leaders above me because of those other metric stories that I've shared already. Um, we have toned down our um, metrics program so that it is, it is always on, um, but it is uh, at request. It is ad hoc, not ad hoc collection, but ad hoc reporting. Um, what we found was we were spending a lot of time uh, publishing um, some making the sausage metrics and our speed to market and some other analyses, but we weren't sure what we were doing with it is what we realized and we weren't sure that anyone else was sure either. So uh, we don't spend time on that anymore because we know that we can get the answer to any of the questions that come up um, on a fairly quick turnaround. Does that make sense? So you does that mean you're not looking at the metrics on sort of a set basis whether that's daily weekly or monthly it's more when something feels off so uh, i would say my analyst looks at them at least daily if not okay. multiple times a day um, but from where i sit on the lead from a leadership perspective uh, i am I will ask for those numbers or go look at those numbers myself when I start hearing things um, anecdotally or firsthand about problems that are happening in the process. Then I will go and poke around and dig around and see what the numbers are telling me. Um, but, but some of those um, investigations, right, questions really start from keeping my finger on the pulse of what's happening out there. Um, and uh, several people describing the same problem coming from a different perspective um, tells me, um, gives me good clues about where to go look in my metrics to see what's happening. Got it. Okay. Um, so then is your analyst doing something different um, with that data? Like what are they doing with it? And they're looking at it, as you said, multiple times a day. Are they? Well, she, she, to be fair, uh, she has a split role and she okay. also admins our tool. Got it. So, okay. um, so the metrics, I don't know in our case would be a full-time role, um, that she would be able to occupy herself with, um, based on the size of our team, um, for 40 hours a week. So she also manages our tool, which means her nose is in there 24 hours a day. <laughs> okay. All right, got it. Uh, so let's pivot a little bit more to talking about process if we could. Um, sometimes you're using metrics to figure out, you know, what sort of, you know, where's the disturbance in the forest. Um, when you have gone through uh, times where you've looked at the process and determined that you do need to make a change in the process, talk us through a little bit about, you know, how you determine what change is required and what the new process is going to look like? Uh, well, I'm very collaborative in that way, right? I am the first to admit that I'm not in the weeds doing the work of producing those projects or designing those projects. So my approach is always to grab a few people, uh, pull them into a room, um, to discuss what's happening, discuss per perspectives, and then talk to a few people on the other side of the uh, 
uh, fence, if you will, right? The, the project owners, the business owners, the marketers of those projects and what, what impact is this having on you and what's your suggestion? What would you like to see? Uh, and then sometimes there's a very clear answer uh, and that's the one that's agreed on by all parties. Uh, other times it can be more contentious uh, and that's when I have to step in as a leader and say, okay, the best thing for the business is B, right? And it's not going to make everybody happy and maybe it's going to make no one happy. Uh, but it, it seemed like the right thing to put into place. We have um, fairly, I would call it medium formal uh, process documentation. We do have many of our key processes documented separately. So when a change um, happens to one of those individual processes, um, the, our, my analyst or one of the folks on the creative ops team would go in and update that um, uh, and that would kind of be the end of it with a, uh, with a communication to those who need to know. Okay. Uh, and then when it comes to process, like all these processes that have been documented, how tightly documented are they? And maybe the more pertinent question is like, how tightly followed are they? Like, cause there's one thing to sort of document them based on how they get laid out on a whiteboard, uh, where everything is pristine. But then process makes contact with reality. So in the day-to-day, -day, how closely do you find that the production process actually adheres to the whiteboard process? I would say maybe 50% of the time is my gut. Okay. Um, we, the way that I think about that is uh, process and its documentation uh, always are and should be changing because Otherwise, you are stuck in, in, some, in the past already, right? So uh, the problem is keeping up with that, keeping up with reality, and whether or not the process on the whiteboard is better than reality or whether maybe reality has changed. So um, our, the way that I think about our process documentation is less about the steps than it is about the roles, responsibilities, and accountability of the people who are doing the steps. Yes, uh, I love that um, because I think the reality is, is that um, way too many of us try to do that whiteboard session and we try to get every step right. We documented to such a level of granularity that it's going to break as soon as it makes contact with reality. It, especially right. with something like a creative production process where there is just always so much on the go. There is always last minute changes and requirements, certainly not on every project, but it's not unheard of uh, as we know in the creative world. Um, and it, it's got to have that flexibility. So I like the fact that you're framing it more in the context of what are we trying to achieve? What are sort of the milestones along the way it sounds like and who's responsible along the way? And, and then trust people to get their jobs done in terms of how they make their part of the sausage. Um, yeah, that's right. And you always have new things being introduced into your process almost every day, right? whether it's a new resource employee contractor that starts, they're bringing a worldview from their past jobs and maybe they've used the same tool, but they use it a different way and they have a better idea. They don't necessarily share that idea. They just start doing it this way. Now that's a good thing, right? Once you understand that maybe that benefit can benefit the entire team, but that's just one example of something that can change, right? The whole time, anytime you have a new asset type, that's a whole change. Well, who does that part? And where do I get this? Right. And those are coming fast and furious too. So there, there's constant change and movement inside the process, which is one of the reasons why I say it needs to be about the people, because at least people still have to do the work, at least at this point in time, we'll see in, in 10 years if people are still doing this work or not. Exactly. Uh, as our uh, robot friends start to perhaps creep a little bit more into uh, into the creative process uh, down the road. Um, one more question on this whole idea of process regimentation. Um, do you find that it's 
different for different types of projects. Like, so something that is truly more about like putting something new out into the world, out into the market versus something that's more about, well, we're just going to create a whole bunch of different variations of this. It's basically the same content, but based on the audience is going to, we're just going to tweak it slightly. Uh, does one have less process and the other have much more process ascribed to it? So yes, I would say uh, I could name at least three major processes within our creative operation that are different depending on the type of the asset and who is the business owner for that project. So um, for example, some business owners who work with a certain merchant group or a certain uh, membership focus group have different uh, levels of involvement in approvals on the project, right? And those, are, they, those come with the project and a print piece for one group um, could be quite different from a print piece for another group, even depending on what groups we're working with and, and who those people are, which is why the, you know, we, of course, attempt to document all of those, even all of those different ways. If it's A, it goes like this. If it's B, it goes like this. If it's C, it goes like this. They're still really just guidelines, right? No, right. almost no two projects are ever created equally. And yes, for the more simple ones, um, if it's um, making 10,000 versions of the same thing in 10,000 sizes, those might skip various levels of approvals um, in, in our world. Okay. And, uh, but all of it is still bound by that one sort of universal metric of time to market. So your process the who, the who does the who, the who does it and what do they do with it right. and what do they do with it when they're done is is largely the same between those okay got it um so now that we're on process let's go back to that um topic i wanted to come back to you've got both in-house teams and you've got external agency partners that you work with um and you're held to this metric of time to market. Um, so how do you think about process when it comes to, like, do you have one set of processes for your internal team? And do you have any control over the processes that get applied to how your agency partners are executing for you? Uh, I would say largely, yes, we have the same process when we work externally as, when, as we do when we work internally. Um, now that's a yes, but because obviously there are some different parts, right? When we work externally with it, uh, one of our agency partners, there's a project manager on that side and there's also a producer on our side. Now, when we work internally, we lose the project manager role because we don't have those internally. So while the steps are largely the same uh, and we don't call them different processes, there are different um, there are variations between how, how we work. And we have been very lucky to have wonderful partnerships with our agency roster. And we are learning from each other how to be faster and, and do things more efficiently. Um, we give feedback on their process very openly and they on ours very openly uh, as we are trying to figure out the best way to both achieve speed to market because to them that's money, right? The faster they can get it done, the, the, assuming that we're on a per project basis, which we are for some things and not for others, right? It's in their interest to free up those resources as well. So and it's a win-win. Do, do you hold those agency partners to the time to market metric? At this point, we do not. We are still working, working together through um, figuring out what our best practices for working together should be. Um, this is all fairly new to us, you know, certainly less than a year of, of operating um, in this way. Okay. So are they even aware of that metric or they're just blind to that? And that's something that, like, are you still held accountable to the time to market metric, even though it's something being produced by an external agency? I would say I am, but with a caveat that there is now, a piece that is somewhat outside my visibility. Okay. Uh, and just to sort of like fill out the picture here, 
are there only certain types of projects that will go to external agencies or is it more related to capacity or other factors that determines what goes to an agency? It's a combination of those two things. Um, number one, we don't have uh, an, we don't have in-house designers who are print designers. We don't have those in-house. So anything that, for instance, needs a mechanical, <laughs> we don't do uh, here in-house. We have art directors who consult with the agency art directors uh, and provide guidance on um, brand and past and future state of the brand. Um, but um, that's one place that we, we don't get involved because we don't have those resources. Other than that, my marketing operations team and I, uh, in conjunction with my creative ops lead and my counterpart, the senior creative director, we have an intake meeting every morning and the marketing ops side of my house says, here are all the things that came in yesterday. Here's the timing. What do you want to do about them? And we make those decisions as a group, um, whether we, based on uh, whether it's strategic enough to need our involvement, not all things are, uh, whether the timing is realistic and we have capacity to do it in-house. Uh, and if neither of those things are true, then we sometimes uh, will just punt the project back to leadership and say, we don't have the resources and we don't know why you would want to have an agency do this either. So can we, can we come up with another solution, which could be pushing the timeline out, you know, a quarter, for instance. Got it. Okay. Um, so I think that's probably a good point to um, start to bring our conversation to a close. Um, we definitely have to do a part two and probably even a part three, because I've got so many questions I want to dig into, like, what's your tech stack? Do you use the same? Um, tech stack as your agencies use to help facilitate that collaboration and make that uh, whole handoff process and back and forth as efficient as possible between you and the agencies. I want to dig more into how you see the role of creative operations or the function of creative operations evolving at Sam's Club over the next year to three years. Um, but Let's end on a couple of wrap-up questions. Um, we'll, we'll leave the fun one uh, to the end. So what are your big creative operations challenges that you're tackling over the next, next year? We're on the doorstep of you know, 2019 wrapping up, moving into 2020. Um, maybe you're thinking about you know, year-end wrap-up, uh, planning for the year ahead. What are the big challenges that you're gonna be tackling? Yeah, I would say that there are um, three. One is front and center, but will be ongoing. And that is the work that I've just touched on, uh, really getting into the weeds with our agencies and our internal teams to really get clear on roles, responsibilities, and steps to be able to work together more effectively. Because like I said, this is still fairly new for us. Um, so that's number one because it's happening and the work is happening right now and we're trying to, um, you know, gas up the plane as we're in the air or whatever that uh, cliche might be. <laughs> um, the next thing I have to figure out for our coming fiscal year is, um, is my staffing model uh, adequate to support um, what the rest of the business leaders and marketers need from us in the coming year. We have been experimenting with, um, I know agile is such a funny and loaded words, uh, but we have been experimenting with dedicated agile-like pods who are uh, which are dedicated to a specific line of business. Um, and we are, you know, I am thinking about those are working. Do we do more of those? Are they actually faster? Do they do better? Do I need more of those? Uh, or does that, does that fracture us in some way um, from uh, presenting a clear brand picture out to the world? So to figure that out with, with, my, um, with my creative counterpart. And then we are also amidst uh, the implementation of a new digital asset management system. So um, that will be top of mind as we start moving into uh, user acceptance testing in uh, early December. And then that will involve training and change management and uh, uh, backloading of some data by a digital asset manager and uh, metadata definition 
So those are three pretty big, pretty big rocks I've got ahead of me. Those are three pretty good rock, uh, big rocks. Um, that whole agile thing—that's definitely uh, part four of our discussion because you and I have known each other for a few years, and I've always been very impressed by how you've taken a lot of uh, practices that are pretty common in the software development world and applied them uh, to the way that you're operating uh, the creative operations team, and by extension. Um, sort of orchestrating the content or creative production process at, at Sam's Club. So that's definitely something to dig into. Um, and that whole agile thing is, is very interesting. And maybe, you know, along with that, you know, discussing how you think that sort of impacts like people's creativity um, for the, you know, ladies and gentlemen working in Photoshop and in design and illustrator and all those great tools. But um this has been a fantastic conversation. So final question, you've got these three big challenges, um, you know, maybe in San Diego next week or after that, if you're having a creative operations dinner party and you've got a table for four, you're going to be in one of the chairs. Who are the people taking up the three other chairs that you want to uh, spend, you know, three hours and nine courses talking to about creative operations? who you think are going to be able to give you some good, uh, good input and feedback on your three big challenges for 2020. Hmm, not you, you pick good restaurants. Well, you know, I, I'm happy to make a restaurant recommendation, but <laughs> that may be the extent of value I would bring. Okay. All right. Um, so I would say um, there's three people in creative ops um, and each for their own special reason. Would I love to have this, um, discussion or dinner and certainly some wine together. Um, Juliana uh, at um, uh, Farfetched is doing some super cool things with uh, data and tech stack and she has huge support from the broader business to, to do this and it's some really really geeky cool stuff. Um, Lauren at NetSpend is a good example of something else I'll talk about uh, a little bit in my career pathing uh, roundtable next week, which is creative ops getting all of this mad respect from our leadership and being pulled into adjacent things like marketing ops. Um, and Lauren's a good example of that. And then, of course, Claire with the forecast agency and just her wonderful passion for um, creative operations and all of her um, witty, witty, fun um, insight into uh, how all of these businesses make it work. Those are three very smart people in the creative operations world. And uh, Juliana is also one hell of a pool player. Um, and I have to win back $20 from her one day. But um, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps I could do that after your dinner party with them. So, uh, Amy, thank you very much. This has been very informative. Um, I've gotten a lot out of this, and I'm sure that the listeners will as well. And uh, I look forward to having you back for part two and, uh, and best of luck at the Henry Stewart conference next week in San Diego. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. I love geeking out on creative ops and it's always good to catch up with you. All right. Great. Thanks very much. Mm -hmm. Bye.